0: Kia ora, I'm Laura Clark, the British High Commissioner to New Zealand. Welcome to another episode of Tea with the High Commission, the British High Commission's podcast where we interview a range of interesting people talking about anything and everything and in the process discover the great connections between the UK and New Zealand. Hello, I'm Joel Watson, First Secretary at the British High Commission. In this episode we are joined by the international rugby referee and proud Welshman Nigel Owens. Nigel is well known to rugby fans around the world and is widely regarded as the best referee in the world. Nigel, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the High Commission.
1: Thank you very much.
0: We are talking in Wellington the day before the All Blacks take on the Springboks. Are you looking forward to the game?
1: I am, yes, uh, very much so. Um, there's always something some special about the rivalry between New Zealand and, and South Africa. Um, I remember Derek Bevan, uh, the legendary Welsh referee, telling me many years ago... Um, The toughest game, the biggest game in in World Rugby, apart from World Cup final, of course, to referee is is the the Springboks-New Zealand Test Match. And I've done it now five times already. I think this will be the sixth uh, time tomorrow. So um, it is always a special uh, occasion, you know, two huge rugby nations, two huge rugby rivalries. So, uh, yeah, there's always something special about a a New Zealand Springbok Test Match and... uh, I'm looking forward a little bit more because uh, the weather in Wellington is supposed to be nice. It's sunny today and uh, no rain, no wind. Uh, So that always uh, adds a little bit of something to the occasion. It certainly does.
0: What makes um, All Black Spring Box so difficult, such a challenge?
1: I I think it's the rivalry between them, I think. They're they're two great rugby nations. Mm. Um, You know, always been up there with the top rugby nations in in the world. Um, And there's always been a fierce rivalry between the both of them so and, and they're always very physical hard encounters you know sometimes brutal at, at times within the boundaries of the law of course but um yeah there is always something very special a bit like you know when when Wales play england uh, it's something very special for a welshman you know that huge rivalry as well so um you wouldn't get a chance to referee wales england as, as a welshman of course or as an englishman so um you know, South Africa, New Zealand is is something very, very, very special, really. And uh, having experienced of done, doing that Test match, you know, on five occasions, really, you you know that you're in for a for a proper Test match of rugby when when you're refereeing that fixture. People are looking forward to the game. Do you, when you
0: are refereeing a game, get a chance to uh, appreciate how good or even how bad the game is?
1: Yeah, yes and no, because. Th- the biggest challenge of refereeing a test match um, or any match for that matter but particularly a test match is, is your concentration and your focus You know, for, for that 80 minutes, that's the biggest challenge because you really have to be on top of everything, focused and so many things to, to look for in a game and if you're doing that and doing your job properly and concentrating and focusing, sometimes you're not aware of what's going on around you because you're focused at what's in front of you really so yeah, I've, I've quite often come off a game and you know, people saying, Oh, that was a poor game of rugby and you're thinking, Oh, I don't know, you know and or people saying oh, it was a great game of rugby and you think, Oh, you was it? And then it's only when you sit back and review the game and look at it again do you appreciate, you know, oh, hell, that was one hell of a touch match or Oh, well that was a poor game of rugby so um yeah you, you are aware of of the occasion of the atmosphere and sometimes if there's, if there's a big hit going in right next door to you you're aware of that and sometimes you will see you know a player sidestepping and beating two or three men and you appreciate and you're aware of that as well but uh, but in general you know you you usually sort of look back at the game when you watch it again and think oh, i don't remember that or i didn't sort of you know appreciate how good that was so uh, yes yeah, a, bit, a bit of both really um but when you are, you know, focusing and, and, and really concentrating on, on the game, you're you know, sort of oblivious to what goes on around you sometimes.
0: And you seem to always have such a good rapport with the players that that helps the game and the flow of the game. And you, it's rare to see too much dissent in games that you're refereeing because you're so clear.
1: Well, rugby allows that as well. I, I think the, the, the culture and, you know, the that ethos and value of respect that rugby has and, and continues to maintain... Uh, although those uh boundaries are being challenged all the time um you know it's important that we we maintain that value of respect in in rugby because it's such a physical hard sport that you need that respect on the field or or otherwise if you don't have that respect between the both teams and players and players and match officials and vice versa you know if you have two teams making those massive hits in rugby without that value of respect, it could easily boil over to, to violence on the field so rugby has that instilled in it and, and that obviously helps then in in the players respect for the match officials now obviously over the years you know the better you are at your job as an official and refereeing and and your experience and refereeing those players you know many times before then then you get to earn their respect as well as as you know you respect them so the respect works the both way really and um so it is it's it's important value of the game um and yes i suppose after sort of you know refereeing for so so many years that uh, i'd like to think there is there is mutual respect there between between myself and, and and the players because that's hugely important for the game it it does help you to control and manage the game to manage the situation you know the heated moments um the way you speak to the players and, and manage situations in the game is hugely important and if you can If you can sort of referee a game and the players don't need to worry about the referee. I remember Ryan Jones, the ex-Welsh captain, um, British Lion himself and also the Ospreys captain for many years. I remember him telling me probably one of the biggest compliments I've ever had, actually. was when I was refereeing an Ospreys game uh, in Wales, Ospreys against Scarlet, which is a big Welsh derby. And I remember him telling me, when we have you refereeing, we don't have to worry about the referee. We know that you'll do your job so we can just get out there and get on and play the game. And that's what you want as a referee. You want the players to go out there and get on with their game so you can get on and do your job, which is refereeing the game. So I think that's the biggest compliment, I think. And, and that comes you know, with earning that experience and earning that respect over the years. So I would like to think that when I'm out on that field, the players you know, will have trust in you as a referee so they can get on and do their job, you can do theirs. And, and that inevitably then will, will help the flow of the game because they can focus on, on what they need to do out there, which is, which is play the rugby.
0: Innovation as well throughout sport. Rugby, we see it in in video referees, but also the fact that referees are mic'd up now. Do you think that's had a a positive impact on the way in which players conduct themselves on the field and to the officials?
1: Not that much, I would say, because I think that value of respect has always been there in rugby, whether you were mic'd up or not. Um, It probably does does help in, in one sense maybe um, because if, if something is said on the field whether it is from one player to the other then we've seen examples of this happening over the last few months and over the last few years when a player has said something to the official or said something about another player and is here in the referee's mic and then there is no doubt about it it's dealt with through the correct procedure via the um, the judiciary after the game or, or the citing um, procedure and then there is no well, did he say it or not? Because it's clearly here. So that has helped a lot to keep the game as values. I think um, what I think has probably done more than anything is enabled rugby to be enjoyed by people who are probably sitting there not having a clue what's going on, um, and sometimes that's rugby <laughs> people themselves. So if you want to get new people, which which rugby's always wanted to do, is to get a new audience, mm-hmm. people who are not traditionally rugby supporters. That is why the making up of the referees started in the first place was to help people understand why the referee was giving decisions on the game, and to explain to a public who, who maybe sitting down for the first time and watching a game of rugby, to help them understand what was going on. And I think that has helped grow the game globally. I think so. That's probably the the biggest advantage of being mic'd up as as a referee. And is it allowed rugby to go to a new audience who otherwise had been watching a game and thinking what the hell is going on here, at least now they can understand and, and help them realise what, the, what what's going on and, and, and what the laws of the game are, which um, enhances their pleasure of, of viewing the game then.
0: Yeah, and in a country such as New Zealand where crowds are so knowledgeable,
1: that's maybe a mixed blessing. They're all knowledgeable, They're knowledgeable. wherever you go in the world, all the crowd is, is, is knowledgeable when a decision is made on the field, but if you were to set them down and ask them exactly yeah. Why or what? Uh, the majority of them wouldn't wouldn't have a clue, but uh, <laughs> they certainly do so during the game. Uh,
0: what about when you're sitting watching a game, either at home or live? Do you get to enjoy the game, or do you fo- find yourself focusing on the
1: referee's performance? Um, you'd be surprised how much rugby I watch, really, which is which is very ri- little. Um, I'll go and watch my local rugby club uh, because I, you know a couple of family members, godchildren and cousins and stuff are playing. Um, and then I will obviously watch watch Wales play, and I will watch you know if, if there's a big game on the telly, you know, or a couple of weeks ago now I, I watched the Bed is low and I watched the Argentina South Africa game, more to do with my preparation for for tomorrow. So I don't really watch that much rugby because. It's, it's rugby's my job, so it's a bit like you doing your job here, you know, you, when you go home after work, you, you, you don't do this job then until you go to bed and the first thing you get up in the morning. And that's very similar to me in one sense, but I do, I do watch a bit of rugby, of course I do. So if I'm watching Wales and watching my local rugby team, I, I can enjoy the game because I'm watching the team and supporting Wales and I'm, I'm watching Wales play as, as, as a passionate rugby supporter, the same as, as everybody else. And the same with my local club. If I'm watching then... From a neutral point of view, if I was watching a game not involving Wales or not involving my local rugby club, then I probably tend to be watching the referee a bit more because you're, you're watching his decisions. But But you probably end up doing the both, really, because in rugby... The referee's always close to the action. You always have to keep your eye on that ball all the time. So that your job is to locate that ball and keep your eye on the ball all the time because it's around that ball the infringements will tend to happen or the huge majority of them. So the referee is always in shot really. So when you're watching the game, the referee is always in there. So as a as a referee watching the game, yeah, you, you sort of sometimes watching the referee see his positioning, um, you know, or why did he give that decision? Then I think he's got that wrong. And then you look to see where he was positioned, or maybe he didn't see it the same way we're seeing it here. So, but if I'm watching Wales, yeah, I, I watch. I tend to watch the game uh, rather than the referee. But if I'm watching from a neutral perspective. I, I probably tend to watch the referee a bit more, really.
0: Do you ever barrack the referee?
1: No, 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 never, no. When I'm watching Wales and watching my local club, I get frustrated just like any supporter, you know, and uh, jump up and down if I think the referee's penalised us wrongly or something. Yeah, but um, I tend to sort of keep that to myself.
0: I said in the introduction that you're widely regarded as the the best rugby referee in the world. I know you're a modest man, so I won't ask you to comment on that. But as a man who was in charge of the last Rugby World Cup final, do you ever find yourself... You know, stopping and, and taking a pause to to think how far you've
1: come since you first picked up the whistle at the age of sixteen. Do you know I haven't honestly, and, and I I assume that probably won't happen until I probably hang up the whistle. Mm-hmm. And when you sit down afterwards and it's all come to an end, can you then look back on everything and appreciate how fortunate and you know how privileged uh, I've been to be part of this wonderful game and how much of an honour and privilege it was to get appointed to the World Cup Final and to, to many, many other games, like like tomorrow's game. But when you're still in the game, you probably tend to take things for granted, I think. It's a bit like, it's a bit, I suppose, you know, you you take your mum and dad and your family members and loved ones around you, you you take them for granted when they're there. And then when they're gone and they're not there longer, it's it's then you sort of realise you know, what you had and, and what you've just lost really in one sense. So I, I think it's very similar to, to refereeing. Yes, I appreciate, you know, when I, you know, I, I know that I'm very lucky to to be part of this wonderful game uh, for now the best part of nearly 30, 32 years. Um, but I probably won't really sit down and appreciate what it's all been about. You know, I haven't watched the World Cup final back yet. I refereed the final. I haven't watched it again. And I probably won't watch it now until I probably finish refereeing. And maybe one day when I'm... Uh, Feeling a bit sad that I want to... <laughs> well, you should do. You refereed very well. Well, you know, the, the game allows you sometimes to referee well. You know, when you have two teams that are hugely positive and want to play rugby, and that's what the World Cup in 2015 was. It was a tournament where the teams were hugely positive and wanted to play rugby. It made our job as referees, you know, much easier. And, and the final was the same. You had... Australia, New Zealand, just went out there and played and played a brilliant game of rugby, even under that huge pressure of a World Cup final, which made my job much easier then. um, It's very, very rare you get a final that lives up to to the billing of the occasion, because most finals are hugely disappointing because of the pressure of of winning that final. Mm. And, And the World Cup was one of those finals where... It just happened to be a great final where the both teams just went out and, and played. So it was very, very fortunate really. You know, I don't think um I could have hoped to be part of a better World Cup. You know, to date it has been the best World rugby world cup to date and and that's been the best final of, of, of all the World Cups to date as well. So to be part of that, yeah, I was very, 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 very lucky and very privileged and, and an honor to, to to be part of that really.
0: Uh, and with uh, Rugby World Cup in Japan next year, if you're fit
1: and well, I assume you'll be there. Um, well, it depends on this year, really. You know, I even though I've done the World Cup in 2015, I've still got to perform at the top of my game. So, you know, if I perform well this year and I'm lucky enough to be selected to go as one of the probably 12 referees that will go to the World Cup, then uh, then yes, hopefully I will be there. But that depends on, on form and, and basically fitness, I guess. So that's what I need to do. I need to keep refereeing well. I need to... Keep uh, keep fit and healthy, and then hopefully I'll, I'll be selected to go. Which which, which will be a very different World Cup. You know, it's mm-hmm. the first time it's been in a in a Tier Two nation. Um, so it'll be you know it'll be a great World Cup. There's no doubt about it. Japan is is, is it was a wonderful country. The people are so hospitable and unrespectful and respectful, uh, and it really is. You know, I've been in Japan a couple of times, referee, and it's a wonderful, wonderful country. And it'll be a very, very wonderful World Cup. There's there's no doubt about that. I think uh, everyone here is looking forward to it. It is not very far for people to go from here compared to when you have to travel up up north and stuff. So uh, yeah, I can imagine that the southern hemisphere that you will be looking forward to it very much.
0: One of the things you you talked about earlier was about the pressure of, of the modern game that the players are under. But what intrigues me is about the mental side uh, for you as uh, being a referee. You appear to make the job look easy. I've no doubt that it. That no, it is not. It, I can tell
1: you. Uh, and,
0: and certainly when you see you being towered over by by forwards. Um, you know, that doesn't seem to hold any fears for you. But how do you mentally prepare for taking charge of a game
1: like tomorrow's one between the Springboks and the All Blacks? I, I think it, you, you've got to be, you know, tomorrow I, I have to be on top of my game tomorrow. I have to be totally switched on and, and focused on the job I have to do. So during the week, you can prepare yourself physically, um, you know, after long-distance travelling and stuff, so you need to rest accordingly, you you go to the gym you keep your body active and you make sure that you're in in a fit um state ready for the game so that's half the battle done so if you've done that then you know then you don't have to worry about your your, your fitness or you know am i going to be right around the field and running so that's taking a worry away from it because if, if you're not feeling well if you're physically not feeling well it it can then affect you mentally because you're worrying ab- about that so that worry is gone so you prepare yourself physically for that. So that takes away a huge worry of, of an element of worry then from the mental side of things. And and everybody sort of prepares different, I I guess, you know, I I do some preparation work um around the two teams I'll referee. Not not much, just a little bit, uh, because I'd rather referee what's happening in front of me um on Saturday than go in there with any preconceived ideas and, you know, referee one side differently to the other side, which can happen if you go in with any preconceived ideas about a a team. So um and then you know, just make sure that I've rested well in the week, trained well in the week, uh, and then the buzz, I suppose. You know, of looking forward and, and knowing what's in front of you, and what will be in front of me tomorrow night will be will be a massive test match. It'll be a huge test match, um, and I I can only referee that well if I'm really switched on. You know, mentally and physically for that game. So I need to be really focused on on the job I have to do and get out there and and really sort of work hard for that 80 minutes, you know, both mentally and physically. And when I come off that field that I'm physically and mentally drained, and, you know, I, I haven't left anything on the field, I've given it my all. So that's the way that I will prepare. And, you know, Saturday, quite relaxed, I'll meet with the two assistant referees and the TMO, and we'll talk through a few things, how we can perform better, or as well as we can as a as a team on the field, a team of four, because um, you can't referee a test match on your own anymore. You need a good team around you. And then... You know, relax in the afternoon. Make sure I I hydrate and eat properly, and and then I start listening to my music and stuff when I get to the ground with the music on the, on the docking station in the changing rooms. And uh, I always listen to a couple of songs before every game. So I listen to a Welsh hymn will be the last song I listen to before I go out on the field. Okay. And then when I get out of the field, then I you know I've got to be switched on and and my work rate has got to be high. So if I do all that, then it takes away any any worry you have because for you to be totally focused on something which you need to be as a referee or in any job you do if you need to be totally focused you can't have anything on your mind playing on your mind taking the destruction away from you so that's how i will make sure that i am mentally switched on for that game which which i will need to be and you know by making sure that the body is is fit as well for that 80 minutes because it's you know a proven thing that if you if your fitness is not right and then you're very tired the last 20 minutes that's when you start making mistakes mm-hmm. um so you know i got to make sure i'm prepared well that my fitness is right for the 80 minutes so then it doesn't affect my my mental decisions in in the game then which which can be affected if you are you know your body is is, is too tired or something so it's a pretty relaxed build-up really but just you know for me tomorrow it'll just be uh make sure that i am I'm 100% switched on tomorrow with, with with a huge work rate around the field.
0: you made a very good uh, link there between you know, equality between mental and, and physical health. Now, earlier in your life, you, you have mental health issues. And I think the, the openness with which you've discussed them has, has shed a really helpful light, particularly for men, on mental health issues. What advice would... Would you have for anyone struggling today with, with mental health issues?
1: I think mental health issues is there'll be a reason for it. There's something that's that's causing the issues. And I think the biggest challenge you will come across um, is accepting there are issues in your life that you need to deal with. Because if you don't accept there's something wrong, then you can't move on to the next stage of, of doing anything about it. So you need to accept whatever's getting you down whatever reason it is you need to accept right there is an issue that's getting me down which is triggering these mental health issues or causing the mental health issues so once you've accepted that then you can move on and that is the biggest challenge because unless you can accept that you're not going to want or or, or you're not going to go seek any help so if you identify the reason what's causing the mental health issues then you can move on to the next stage of what you're going to do about them now whether you address it personally is something you can you can you can solve yourself. It could be a simple thing, uh for example, and when I say simple thing, I mean that in the in, in the nicest possible way. It could be you're in a relationship that's not working. It's getting you down, you're both not happy, you're arguing all the time, it's it's making you feel down and you know, causing you to have mental health issues and and worrying about stuff or whatever it may be. So if you're in a relationship that's not working, if you've tried everything to make it work and it's not working, you're not going to get any better in that relationship unless you, you end it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, or unless you work on what's what's not right. So if that is the case that's triggering mental health issues, then that's what you need to do. You need to do, unless the both of us can make this work, then we need to end this because it's it's causing issues for us. So that's something you could address yourself. If it's not, then... You know, it's something we maybe go and seek professional help about. So the first challenge is accepting there are issues. Once you've accepted that, you then go on to identifying identifying what they are. And there are very many different ways now of seeking help with mental health issues. So the, the biggest message for me is, one, identify and accept there are issues that you need to deal with, whatever they may be. And then you need to do something about it for your own well-being and, and the people around you as well, with particularly your, your loved ones. Um and that is to speak up about it, whether it is to go and speak to somebody you know about it, to tell somebody, to go and seek professional help, whatever it is, because that is the only way you're gonna get through it, by accepting and then moving on to the next stage of what am I going to do about it really. So so my biggest advice to anybody suffering with mental health issues is You can get through it Um, and the worst case scenario is it something that you can't get through it's something that you can live with for the rest of your life Um, something you can control and something that you can prevent making the same mistakes again which slips you into those dark times or mental health issues It's something you you can live with or it's something I think if you can get hold of it quick enough Mm -hmm. before it manifests itself is something that you can get over and 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 not have again in, in in your life but identifying what what the issues are really and and for me is this for people to realize that it's you know it's it's not something to be ashamed of it's not some it's not a it's not a sign of weakness it's actually a sign of great strength if you speak up about what's troubling you about mental health issues you have and, and seeking help with it and and by doing that then you you are then able to sort of hopefully overcome them or certainly you're able to start dealing with those issues because um, there is no doubt that that once you've dealt with whatever issues they are then then life is much better you know when you're carrying around that burden every day of something getting you down something worrying you whatever it may be you know life can be a horrible place to be in Um, and then when you realize that you can do something about it and you can realize how wonderful life can be. You know, it 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 is certainly worth worth doing that. And um, you know, it it's there's a stigma being around mental health. But but the more people that speak up about it and seek help about it, and the more people realize that it becomes something normal in one sense. It's an illness that is is normal. People get the flu, people get the cold. So if you can Normalize mental health issues to something that is not a stigma attached to it. Then it's something that people can seek help and and and, and get, a, get get better better from it. Really, yeah. but the sooner you you deal with the issues, the better. Because um, you know, I, I think mental health issues very similar to eating disorders, for example. You know, it's 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 a bit like cancer in one way. I suppose is if you can identify a cancer at an early stage. There's a very good chance you're able to get cured, or you're certainly able to live quite a happily long life by controlling it if it's not curable. And the same with mental health issues or eating disorders or, or whatever they may be, is if you can identify it early, then there's a good chance that you can recover from it. You know, and the longer, the longer you let it go on, then the more difficult it is for you to get to get through it.
0: And I think with you, particularly in a a, a sport that is Traditionally, a, a macho sport such as rugby, having you you're a leading figure like yourself, bringing mental health
1: out into the open. You see rugby players who go through those mental health issues of when they get injured, they think their career's over, or when their career comes to an end, what am I going to do next? And a lot of more players are now actually speaking out about it as well. And 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 I don't like using this word that we're normalising it, mm. but the stigma of you know. Of, oh, of it then will be gone because it is something that is, you know, it is something that happens to, to a huge amount of the population. Yeah. Um, and the more people realise that, then the better it is for people to be able to go and seek help and, and do something about it, really. So I think it's hugely important that people, you know, do speak about it. And, and not just people who are role models in whatever field, you know, they are, whether they in sport or any other field, it's, it's people working in the same office as you. You know, if somebody who comes in and you know there's something troubling him, and they speak up and say, "Well, I'm really struggling with this," and then you know, you can see them getting better. And you know, well, I, I I've been gone through that as well. So it, it's hugely important, I think, that people speak up about it because that's the only way we can deal with the mental health issues, I believe, better as individuals and as people in helping individuals to get through it as well.
0: Talking of, of speaking out, you're wearing a an anti-bullying wristband. Um, you're a, a Patron of Bullies Out, a UK charity. Would you like to tell us a little bit about Bullies Out and why you got involved in, in their work?
1: Um, I got involved because the, 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 the lady who was running Bullies Out did was wonderful work with it. Um, it is a, a charity, in, in Cardiff-based charity, um, where they you know, set up workshops, go to schools and, and help people. Um, Who have been bullied and and help um, schools in particular and organizations how to identify bullying going on and uh, how to help them put things in place to prevent it and deal with it and um, they, they approached me if i 'd be a, a, a patron uh, of it uh, when they 'd read my book and i would mentioned in my book that I was bullied in school um, for a, a six or seven month period of time when I was about eleven or twelve years of age. And obviously they'd, they'd read that and then they sort of came to me if I'd be willing to support the charity, which, I, which I've done ever since. Because I think it's hugely, hugely important, I think. You know, I don't think people realise, particularly with children, um, you know, bullying up ruins lives. You know, we can ruin families' lives. We, we you know, we know what we read far too often about young people in particular taking their own lives because they've been bullied. Well. That, the family life is is that family is ruined forever then you know they, they'll never be the same they'll never get over that in, in losing a child to something like that um so it's 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 something i think that has been swept under the carpet far too long i think you know organizations and schools you know say oh no no, we, no there's no bullying at this school if we do we deal with it well, no they don't you know so the more schools that actually come out and deal with it and get help to deal with it from specialized people then then the better because um from my own experience you know it's it's a horrible horrible place to be when you're being bullied because you feel a sense of you feel a sense of shameness you feel a sense of weakness you you mm. think that it's your fault you, you you sometimes think there's there's something wrong with you when when there actually isn't you know most of the time the issue is usually with the bullies themselves and they take it out on on other people um and I think it's it's raising that awareness, I think and, and getting young people very similar to mental health issues because bullying at that young age can trigger mental health issues you know in a young person or later on in life as well mm. and it's getting the people who are bullied to, to sort of stand up and and seek help and go and tell somebody so you know hopefully people can put a stop to it and, and also raising awareness of other people around you know people's friends to see if. I think you may be bullied by somebody then to encourage them to support their their friends or you know just encourage you know teachers or or parents or family members or people to get involved and, and hopefully that the bullying can, can stop because you know from my own experience it is it is as a kid, it's it's a horrible, horrible time in your life when you're being when you're being bullied. And I'm very different now. If you were bullied in school, when I was bullied in school, when I went home from school. The bully didn't live anywhere near me, so the bullying stopped. So at least when I was home, I was safe. I was able to enjoy life at home mm-hmm. on the weekend, you know, and I'd look forward to school ending so I could get home or I wouldn't even go to school sometimes. I'd be truant and, and it affected my education, affected my life. Um, but you could get away from it. Mm-hmm. Now it's very difficult to get away because on social media now, you know, bullying cyber bullying and bullying on social media sometimes kids are bullied in school they get home they're bullied on on social media platforms or somebody may have your you know they may have your phone number and send you abusive bullying texts and stuff so there is no getting away from it sometimes now and, and that, you know, that 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 is hell actually when you're going through that and um you know it's 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 not a surprise really um you know how m- much bullying is going on and uh Unfortunately, some of those young people, you know, take their own lives because they can't take anymore. Um, and I know exactly how they how they feel because you know I, I've been there my, myself. So I think it's hugely important that we address the the bullying, particularly in young people, but also in in any environment, in any age, in any workplace as well.
0: You're in Wellington during Maori Language Week, as I said at the start. You're a proud Welshman, and you come from a country that has actively um, protected and promoted its. Traditional language. How important is the Welsh language to you as part of your sense of,
1: of national identity? Hugely important because I I think you know your language is is the heart and the beat of your country. I think, and once you lose that language, it's gone forever. You you won't get it back. It, you know it, it's gone. So I think it's hugely hugely important as part of of your identity as as a human being. In, within that country as as a nation as well it really is the heartbeat of the nation i feel and it sort of sets you apart from from other countries maybe that uniqueness of of your language and and also as well if if you understand that language you know if, if people it's very difficult to explain to people who don't understand welsh who can't speak welsh oh, what a beautiful language it is you know the the poetry the hymns the words the sayings you know the humor of it and God, I, I can't imagine life without it to be honest and and that scares me a bit to think that in future generations if we don't look after our language that it'll be lost forever and and then you you know you, your country will never be the same again um so I I know I'm, I'm a very sort of very very proud of of, of, of my language of my country of our culture of our heritage um and I think is something that we really need to fight hard or to to maintain, and and that's thankfully what what the Welsh government uh, are doing their very best at. You know, they they want to increase I think by 2050 I believe or 2030, 2050 they want to increase the population of Welsh speaking to, to one million. Uh, I think we're something around 20% of the population now, so 20% of just over three million speak speak Welsh. Um, and the Welsh education is, is very strong in, in Wales as well through the, the language of Welsh in, in, in schools. And also it's compulsory that you learn the language in, in, in school as well. And I think that's important. If you, if you go to live in another country, then it's hugely important that you respect that country's traditions, its languages, and, and that you learn it as well, particularly as a young person in school. Um, I don't think you, you, know, you shouldn't... I would never go to France and say, well, I'm not coming to France, I'm going to speak English, I'm not going to learn your language. My kids are going to school in France, and um, we, I don't want them to be taught fr- French. Mm. Well, hang on now, then, well, why, why well, have you come to France? Why, why are you going there? Yeah. And I think it's something the same in Wales. If you're coming to live in Wales, then there's always a welcome for you. you know, We're renowned in Wales for our welcome. You know, We'll keep a welcome in, in the hillside, and uh, there's always a welcome in Wales for, for, for anybody, no matter what country you come from.
0: Even Englishmen.
1: Even yeah. Englishmen as well, and... Um, but if you do come to wales then you need to respect you know our culture our history and, and and more importantly you need to respect our language and if you have children that go to get educated in wales then you should be accepting that they're going to have lessons and be expected to to learn the language of, of welsh and um and i think that's you know, it's important that we maintain that. It's important we encourage young people in particular. You know, what a wonderful language it is. And, and the benefits of being able to speak the both languages because it certainly does seem that if you're able to be bilingual, that, you know, you're, you're in education in particular, that kids that are bilingual tend to do very, very well in school. Mm-hmm. And also as well in, in, in Wales, because we've got that 20% population speaking the language, we have a Welsh SOC, your own language channel, um a lot of public sector jobs um will require people to speak Welsh and English mm-hmm. so there is a career for you as well and, and I think that's important and that's something you know we we need to encourage I think so people can see the benefits of, of learning the language as as well and um that is something I'm, I'm very 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 passionate about really and and, and really gets my backup when you know I I, I don't believe I don't think that I am more of a Welshman than another Welshman who's lived in Wales and his family's always lived in Wales and I don't think that I am more of a Welshman than they are because I speak Welsh and, and they don't I don't believe that one bit but what really gets me up is when people move into Wales and to suspect the language mm-hmm. and say well no no I know my my kids are going to go to school in Wales and we not I don't want them to learn Welsh Well, you come to live in Wales then you need to accept that they need to learn Welsh and understand our culture and learn about our traditions and history and culture as well, which is, which is hugely important for the future of that country in order that communities can, can thrive and, and, you know, and, and get on together. One final question for you,
0: possibly an unfair one. But you're going to ask it anyway, are you? Yeah, you're I'm going to ask, ask it anyway. It. Japan next year, would you rather referee another final or see Wales in the final?
1: My answer will be the same as when I was asked the question before the last World Cup. I was asked before the twenty-three World Cup, um, "Would you rather have the final or, or watch Wales in the final?" Mm-hmm. And my answer was, without having to think about it twice, was was to watch Wales play in the final and win the final, without a shadow of a doubt. Because to me, your country comes before an individual um, and before everything else. And uh, yeah, the same thing for Japan. Um, you know, I'd much rather be sitting in that final supporting Wales in the final than than refereeing the final itself, you know, because to me that's more important. So, yeah, um, you know, I was out in New Zealand, the 2011 World Cup, where Wales nearly made the final. They they lost very narrowly to France in a game which we, we should have won. We missed a, a penalty, I think, at the end and a penalty earlier on which would have put us in the lead and we would have been in, in the final. Um, and then who knows what would have happened because Wales were playing really well in that World Cup and a man down for, for most of the game, yeah. Game. So, um, you know... New Zealand may not like hearing this, but I think if Wales have gone to the final, then, then who knows, they, they may well have won that final because yeah. we were playing brilliant rugby. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I hope in, in Japan, you know, I'll go there and, and do my best as a referee if I'm selected to go and, and enjoy the tournament and, and do my, my very best. Um, but when that final day comes, if I'm sitting in the stand, you know, supporting and cheering Wales on, lifting that Webb Ellis trophy, there'll um, be no prouder Welshman in the world than, yeah, than I am. Yeah.
0: Nigel, thank you for joining us today. I uh, hope you have a great game tomorrow night and uh, a safe journey home. Cheers. Thank you very much. It's
1: been thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. My pleasure. If you
0: enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review as it helps others find us. And remember, you can subscribe to us by searching for Tea with the High Commission on iTunes or Spotify. Thank you. Ka anō.